Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Kiss of the Father and the Son. Gift containing all gifts. Father of the poor, the weak, and the childlike. You who are the very love of God, of Father and Son, inflame us with love for God. Set our hearts on fire with love for one another. Help us to set the world ablaze with God's agape love. And we make our prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. So today we're going to talk about growing in agape love. Last week it was opening to agape love and believing in it. Today we're going to talk about growing in it. And then the last talk will be on how this agape love is hope, source of hope for us, for the church, and for the world. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. When Pope Benedict XVI was installed as Pope, the first document that he wrote was an apostolic letter on love. His first work was an apostolic letter on love. The Latin title is Deus Caritas, God is love. And he says that the summary of the Christian life is summed up in this line from St. John's letter. We have come to know and believe in the love God has for us. To understand the revelation of God as love, he says, we all must contemplate the pierced one hanging on the cross. He says, this is where our definition of love needs to begin and where each Christian discovers the path along which his life, his life and love must move. And so together as a church, we often find ourselves doing what? Beholding the pierced one. And when we behold the one who was pierced for us on the cross, we come to know that we are loved, how much we are loved, and to what extent Jesus went 
to reveal His love for you and I. When we behold the pierced one, we come to know that we are even loved as sinners. I am loved in my fallen human condition. And as I look on the pierced one, I see that God does not turn away from me because I'm a sinner, but rather opens his heart to me. I come to know further that my sin draws God to me and that God is moved with compassion and desires to show mercy. The pierced heart of Jesus then is an endless source of mercy where you and I can always be forgiven and rise again. What follows from this revelation? In the words of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, is it possible that love not be loved? We have come to know how much we are loved. How can we not respond with love in return? Pope Benedict further says in this beautiful work, love now is no longer merely a command. It is now the response to the gift of love by which God draws near to us and draws us near to him. When love is a response to love, what happens? It leads to a communion of wills. God's will no longer becomes an alien will imposed on me from without by the commandments, but now becomes my own desire, my own will. I am loved, but for this love to grow, I must now respond with love. For love can only grow by loving, through love. Here we come across again the great principle of the Christian life. Our life increases only by being given away. We hear this in the words of Jesus. Whoever tries to save his life, he will lose it. But whoever loses his life, gives it away, that person will save it. This is why St. Bernard of Clairvaux again writes, Love is its own reward. Its profit lies in its practice. But then he's very careful to add, love is a great thing so long as it continually returns to its fountainhead, flows back to its source, always drawing from there the water which constantly replenishes it. This is so key. As the Father loves me, said Jesus, so have I also loved you. And then he says, love one another as I have loved you. 
the flow of agape love, staying with this fountain analogy, the Father's love continually overflowing into Jesus, from Jesus overflowing to us so that it may overflow our hearts into the lives of others. Here's the key point. We cannot produce this love. It is not self-generated. It can only be received as a gift. God is gracious and lavish in sharing his love, hence the importance of our hearts remaining open and united to God. This is why when I am struggling to love, it's not about trying harder. It's about returning to the source. It means opening my life back up to God and leaning upon the Lord and not on my own efforts. I don't produce the love. I can live it, but it's given to me by God as a gift. So if I'm going to love, I need to remain connected to the source who is God. The primacy of love and its great importance in the Christian life is so clearly and beautifully expressed by St. Paul, especially in the 12th and 13th chapters of his first letter to the Corinthians. He says, strive eagerly for the greater gifts. In that chapter 12, he talks about the charisms of the Spirit. He talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all kinds of manifestations of the Spirit. And then he says, and yet I shall show you an even more excellent way. He teaches the Christians at Corinth that the greatest and most important gift of the Holy Spirit is what? Love. In fact, the other gifts, he says, are as nothing if you and I do not have love. He's got that line, if I speak with the tongues of angels, and if I have all knowledge, if I know the whole of Scripture, if I have faith to move mountains, and so forth, but do not have love, I am nothing. Just a clanging cymbal and a noisy gong. Then St. Paul goes on to speak in chapter 13 of the goodness and the power of this love and the various ways it can be expressed. And we've heard this a number of times. It's at every wedding. It's often read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then he also teaches what it's not. It is not envious. 
It is not arrogant or boastful. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not brood over injuries or hold a grudge. And then he comes to this great finale. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. When we hear this beautiful exposition on love from Paul, we find ourselves desiring more deeply to live a love that is more like that. Yes? <laughs> I mean, whenever I hear this, I go, okay, Paul, I want that. What you just said, I want that. And while we see friendship, marriage, family life, and other relationships as a gift, yet when we try to live out these various relationships, what do we find? We find that love is a real struggle. We often find ourselves failing at this kind of love that we hear from Paul. We fall so short some days of what Paul is talking about. Now here again, language is so important. We have to remember the word that Paul is using for love. And it's agape, this divine love of God. Because in philia, which is friendship love, or eros, which is the intimate love between spouses, or storge, which is the, the love within family, the family affection between parents and children and between siblings, in that experience, it is inconsistent many times with Paul's description. What's the reason? Original sin. This is one of the greatest proofs that there is original sin. Our natural capacity to love as made in God's image, has been wounded. And therefore, our capacity is weakened. As we try to love, we find out there is something broken within us. We desire to love and delight in our minds with what Paul is saying, but in living it out, we feel strong inclinations within ourselves towards selfishness. And many of the things that Paul says that love is not, like anger, impatience, pride, resentment, laziness, irritability, jealousy, stinginess. And there's days where I might feel and become aware of all of those in one day, <laughs> God of mercy. And so in the Greek, there is this other word that the Christian community used 
to describe God's love, especially the love we see revealed in Christ. Everlasting, faithful forever, unconditional, purely gratuitous, selfless and other-centered, sacrificial, stronger than death, always merciful. And this, Scripture says, is the love that God pours into our hearts. God pours his agape love into our hearts. Romans 5, chapter 5. Hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. One way to understand redemption, then, and the work of grace in our life is the introduction of agape love into our friendships, our marriages, into our families. And, that, and what agape does is it purifies, transforms, and elevates them to become all that God intended them to be. So grace, when God gives us grace, when he pours his agape love into our hearts, it does not destroy what is human about us. It doesn't displace our humanity and all that is good about it, as with our capacity for love that we live out in friendship, in marriage, in family life, and in other relationships, but it will redeem them, heal them, purify and prune all that is sinful and fallen within them. And here's where we need to remember that through the incarnation, Jesus took on our human nature. He became fully human like us. And all that is good about our human nature. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to repeat this one line. So God's grace in us, the power of agape love given to us, again, it doesn't destroy or displace our human nature, but it will redeem, heal, purify, and prune friendships, marriages, family relationships, and all that is sinful within these. Okay? So when Jesus becomes human, he becomes a son. He knows what it's like to be a son of Mary and Joseph. And he lives out that relationship, storge. That's the Greek word. He also is a brother to his relatives. He's a brother. He knows what it's like to be a brother. And he becomes our brother through grace. He's the firstborn from the dead, as Scripture says, the first of many brothers. He's also a friend. He says, 
He's a friend of sinners. At the Last Supper, he calls his own disciples friends. And so he lives friendship, philia. He also knows what it's like to be married. Scripture calls him the bridegroom. And we, the church, are his spouse. This, this eros, this intimate, passionate love, Jesus lives that as well. But he lives them perfectly. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the very agape love, fills him and permeates his sonship, his friendships, his spousal love for the church and elevates all of them, perfects them to be how God designed them to be for us. He's the first to live them in perfection. And now he wants us to discover them anew through the power of grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In our Catholic tradition of spirituality, we sometimes see this expression infused virtues. Infused virtues. Agape love is one of the virtues God infuses into us through this gift of the Holy Spirit so that it can enter, as I said, all these other forms of human love to perfect and elevate them and to make them noble. Now, if agape love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, why is love still a struggle? St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 7, 15 through 25. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want to do is the very thing I do. When I want to do good, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God, in my inmost self, but I see within my members my fallen human nature, another law, at war within me, at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's St. Paul, letter to the Romans. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Have you and I ever felt this way? <laughs> Sometimes we feel like we are two people. We have this, these beautiful desires, 
these wonderful intentions and motives, these feelings. We want so much that is good. At the same time, this inclination towards sin, which as the Catechism says, baptism has not taken that away. It has taken away original sin, but not the inclination towards sin. Now, what does Paul say? Who will rescue me from this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what Paul calls the spiritual battle that we feel in us throughout the day and throughout the week. The battle between what? The flesh and the spirit, capital S. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 25. What the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit. And what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. They are often opposed to each other which prevents you, St. Paul says, from doing what you want to do. Live by the Spirit then, he says, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, he says. And then he lists a few. Impurity, fornication, idolatry, enmities, Strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, to name a few. And then he says, by contrast, the fruits of the Spirit are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and disordered desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Okay. But when we feel impatience stirring within us, how do we move from this impatience to agape patience? Or from self-centered pride, if I feel that stirring within me, how do I move from that to agape, other-centered service? Or from brooding over injuries holding a grudge to agape forgiveness. The former needs to somehow give place to the latter. And for that to happen, these initial movements of sin within me need to what? They need to die. Somehow they need to die so that the fruits of the Spirit can live. 
And here we can better understand this through another teaching of St. Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 10 through 12. He says, We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in and through our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. This is where we understand the teaching of Jesus. Remember what he said. If you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever tries to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Another way that Paul puts it, he says, put off the old self that belongs to your former way of life and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And how does he sum it up? All of this in order to put on love. And the word he uses, of course, is agape. Now, how does this death to the former old self happen? How does this death to sin, these movements of sin within us, happen? We know that Christ died for our sins that he nailed them to the cross, that our sins were buried with him in death, and then after three days he was raised up. Every sin then that we commit can be forgiven. But what about before I sin, when I feel it stirring up within me, when I feel it moving? What about that? This is precisely where we all feel ourselves so weak and so poor, where we touch very deeply our spiritual poverty. And it is right that we feel ourselves so weak and so poor and so imperfect because that's what we are. We are weak. We are radically poor. And we are imperfect. And we come to know that we cannot make ourselves stronger. We cannot compensate for this interior poverty. As much as we try, we cannot perfect ourselves by simply trying harder. So what can we do? Psalm 34. The Lord hears the cry of the poor. 
The Lord hears the cry of the poor. In our poverty, weakness, and neediness, we can and ought to cry out to God, who is always close to the brokenhearted, who always hears the cry of the poor. God is so gracious, ever faithful, bountiful in mercy. He is always ready to save, but God can only help those who need him. The truth is, we all need him, but not all trust in God. Not all turn to God or cry out to God. There is such a strong tendency within us to be proud, to be self-reliant, to think ourselves self-sufficient, to keep trying to do it ourselves. And God honors that freedom. Every time I think, okay, I'm just going to try to do this. Okay, God steps back. You try it again, if that's what you want to do. He's not Irish, so he wouldn't say good luck. Notice that the first beatitude is what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Boy, does God know us. And does God know what we need? We can only come to God as we are, very poor and completely and utterly dependent upon him. We come with our desire to love, yes, but we carry this desire in earthen vessels that are so frail and so weak. And so From our baptismal grace, we cry out as children of God, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, Daddy, please give me this day my daily bread. Give me everything that I need. And what does Jesus say to those who persevere in asking? And how much more will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The the gift that God wants to give us more than any other gift is the Holy Spirit. The gift that contains all gifts, the very love, the very agape love of God is given to us. What we're praying for when we pray for agape is really the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit is the agape love of God, the love between Father and Son. But the Holy Spirit can only come and dwell within us if there's space for him. But if I am filled with myself, if I am puffed up with pride, 
If I think I'm self-sufficient and I'm relying on my own strength, no space. This is why the Holy Spirit is called the father of the poor, the weak, and the childlike. Those kingdom traits that are necessary that Jesus teaches to enter the kingdom of God. The strong, the proud, the self-reliant will not enter the kingdom of God. Only the poor, the childlike, the weak, those who need God, and which is the disposition required for receiving divine assistance that comes in the great gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why St. Paul could say, when I am weak, then I am strong. Not because Paul was trying harder. It's because he opened his weakness to God and the Holy Spirit in his weakness could reveal the power of God working in his weakness. And God can do the same thing in ours. But sometimes we're afraid of our weakness and we don't take it directly to God and boy, we try to muster up something and we don't get very far. So, it is so clear then that there is another actor in our drama of life and salvation and that actor is the Holy Spirit. St. John the Baptist said, I will baptize you with water, but the one who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The power of the Spirit at work in Jesus, manifesting in Jesus' death and resurrection, is the same Spirit who now communicates to us the redeeming power of Christ that we see in the cross and resurrection that is now brought to us by the Holy Spirit into the now of my need for help, my need for conversion, my need for transformation, my need to die and rise myself. Remember that scripture says, God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12, 29. And then what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 12? I came to bring fire to the earth, and oh, how I wish it were already kindled. And I like the translation, how I wish it were already ablaze. This is God's desire to set the world on fire. This, by the way, is one way that we can understand purgatory. Purgatory. If it is through fire, 
that we come to die to self and rise in Christ into the perfection of agape love. This is how we can understand purgatory. How does the work that God started in me come to perfection if I die in an imperfect state? God is love. He is perfect love. And when I die, there's an understanding that when we appear before God, we will immediately become aware of everything in us that is not love. And only pure love can bear to be in the presence of the one who is love. And as I become aware of all in me that is not love, I will gladly, joyfully submit to this mercy of God, this purgative initiative that we call purgatory, to finish up the purification within me until everything is love. That's one way to understand purgatory. So the same spirit that abides in us, who is the agape love of God, and therefore the source of this agape love, also wants to be within me and within you fire. Fire, while it brings warmth and light, has another property. This property of burning up what is not like itself until all becomes fire. In this case, becomes agape. So this death comes about by our consent to and cooperation with the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And this is one reason why the Holy Spirit is also called the sanctifier. It sanctifies through fire. One saint that used this analogy well is Saint John of the Cross. He used the analogy of a burning log, a log that is wet. In the same way that fire dries out a wooden log so that it can more deeply receive the flame, our hearts are being purified for greater union with God to receive more deeply the agape love of God. First, the fire drives out all the moisture, all that is inconsistent with the nature of fire, and then transforms the wood into itself. All becomes fire, and the wood glows with fire. The Holy Spirit prepares us that we can be dissolved into love and become love. So let's apply this now. Let's take what we've learned and let's make it real concrete. When I feel the tendency towards sin 
moving within me. Now, what are some of those movements? We heard them earlier. Pride and patience, brooding over injuries, jealousy, anger, lust, laziness, many others, right? When I feel these stirring within me, thanks to Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit within me, as I feel my poverty, my weakness, I open that to the power of the cross and resurrection coming to me in the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I now turn to the Holy Spirit who wants to become the sanctifying, consuming fire now within me to burn up the sin that is moving in my heart. And it's going to feel like death. So that agape love, agape patience, agape forgiveness, agape gratitude, agape meekness, any of these forms of agape love can rise up within me like a flame from the ashes of the sin that is dying within me. And now this agape can be expressed in my thoughts, my words, and my actions. Each time we consent to this interior death and resurrection, we are putting on the new person, putting away the old self, and living more in the new life. We are putting on, as St. Paul said, putting on love. Okay. I was with several friends a few weeks ago. Now, you all know that I'm from Wisconsin, so my humor can be very corny, okay? And, you know, it's terrible when you have to explain your own jokes. I mean, that's when it's really bad. So I was with these friends, and the first movement of pride I didn't catch. And I wanted to kind of impress and put forward a certain perception that I wanted them to think about me, okay? I was looking for human approval, seeking human honor, which is one of the, the idols that we often run to. And so I told this joke that went south, like the minute it started coming out of my mouth, nobody laughed. Then pride wants to do what next? It wants to repair the damage to the ego, right? That's the next movement of pride. So you want to justify yourself or try to maybe explain the joke or whatever. By the grace of God, I did become aware of the second movement of pride. I saw it. And then, rather than allow that pride to dig my hole even deeper, I turned to the Lord, and by the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Spirit within me, I just let it die. I just consented to let it die. And at one point, I even felt a little fire within my belly <laughs> as it was being burned up on the inside. And I just sat there in silence. And no one that I was with that night 
knew that I was dying. And that agape humility was rising up in my ability to just zip my lip and not try to defend or justify myself and look even more foolish. (laughs) That's just one example. And this is happening all throughout the day and the week. Another example. Sometimes my confessor, I have a few of them, they know that I have a lead foot. I spent a year and a half in France, and I came back driving like they do. And they're, they're absolutely crazy over there. The laws for a French person are not to obey. They're, they're to get around somehow. So I have a tendency to drive fast. Now, the problem is, when I drive fast, I'm not in this groove with God. I'm thinking about where I want to be, and I'm not in the present moment. I'm therefore not aware of God. I'm not open to God. I'm willful. I'm impatient. And I'm just pushing my way through the day. So my confessor will say, okay, for your penance, when you drive up north today, I want you to go the speed limit. (laughs) Ouch. And so here I am going up north and almost immediately I become aware of these wild horses that want to kick down the barn door and just run a wild, right? On this particular day, the Lord made me aware of this movement of willfulness, of impatience within me. It was stirring. And again, when this happens to us, we have a choice. By ourselves, we can't change this. But again, we open our poverty to the Holy Spirit, to the power of God. And the Holy Spirit is ready and willing to take that movement and let it be burned up on the inside. And so in this particular moment, I saw it. And I I wanted to step on the gas, but I let it die. And it was beautiful how the Lord brought me into peace. And I stayed the speed limit. And it was a completely different drive. It was a complete... Because when we're impatient and speeding, what do we do? We often objectify other drivers. Because now the other drivers are what? They're in my way. All right? This is the problem with sin. We objectify other people. We don't see them as persons. Now, as I'm driving the speed limit, and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm in peace, I now am able to show agape love to the other drivers. And now I see them as brothers and sisters. Everything changes with agape. Everything changes, and we're in that groove with the Lord. By the fire of the Holy Spirit that fills us, our soul becomes like a crucible where agape love is forged, where friendship, 
marriage and family life rise purified and transformed, all becomes fire. This burning up of self-love is, is what allows us to burn with agape love. This is what is meant when Jesus says, abide in my love. And this is why St. Paul could say, I have been crucified with Christ. All these little crucifixions that can happen all throughout the day, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who now lives in me. Agape love. All is, is, is Christ's agape love. Now, there's something, there's something in the first book of Kings in the contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal that can help us understand this a little bit. You remember this contest. Elijah was the only remaining true prophet of God at this time. And there were hundreds, four to five hundred, false prophets of Baal. And all the people were going after them. And Elijah's saying, look, we're going we're gonna to put this, we're going to put a stop to this. I invite all of you up on the mount, the mountain of Carmel, and we're going to have a contest. And so the contest is that Elijah would build an altar, and all these false prophets would build their altar. And then they would take turns calling on their gods. And the God who responds with fire is the one true God. So Elijah does this mainly to mock these false prophets because he knows what's going to happen. So he lets them go first. And so they start dancing around their altar, slashing themselves and crying and screaming, all kinds of incantations. Nothing happens. And he, he kind of uh, taunts them, you know, uh, while they're doing this. Then, for Elijah, he has the people pour water on the altar that he's made pouring water on the sacrifice, on the altar, and even builds a trench around the altar and has them fill that with water, and he has them do it three times. Then he calls upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this one true God responds with fire. The fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, and even consumes the water in the trench. There is nothing left. Do you see it? This is a foreshadowing of Christ on the cross. The Spirit of God that fills him this fire of agape love, everything is offered. All is consumed in love. 
<clears throat> there's nothing left. He loves us to the last breath, the last drop of blood. All is given in love. The Holy Spirit, this purgative presence of the Spirit in us, will continue this purgation until, like Jesus on the cross, everything in us is offered and given in love. And even though this feels like death and feels painful, we want to say to God, don't stop. I don't care what it takes. If I have to die a thousand deaths in this life, God, just keep loving me into greater love. I don't care if it hurts. Now we see how this is connected to the Mass. What do we do at Mass? We offer this one sacrifice offered once and for all by Christ. It is offered on our altars and we are to be offered with him anew to the Father. What do we receive in Holy Communion? Remember the soldier that pierced the heart of Jesus and from his side flowed blood and water? The redeeming love of God poured out like a river into the sacramental life of the church. This agape love of Jesus is poured into us. This is my body given up for you. This is my blood shed for you. Take and eat. Take and drink. And we take his body into our body, his blood into our blood, his life into our life, so that what? We can say this with our lives. Here is my life that I want to lay down and pour out for my friends, my family, my spouse, my parish, my co-workers, my neighbors. Living the Mass, becoming what we have eaten and drank, what we celebrate in the Mass is what we live, and then what we live we bring back to the Mass. This is why the Mass is the source and the summit of the Christian life. And so if during the week you're feeling like the well is getting dry, go to Mass. You can call on the Holy Spirit, amen. The Holy Spirit who is always with us, but God has provided also another very powerful way for our well to be replenished. It's the Mass. Do this in memory of me. And this is how the church and every member of the church becomes a sacrament and a visible sign of God's union with human beings and our union with each other in Christ. Our bodies become a sacrament of agape love. 
And that's the ultimate reason why you and I have a body. It's so that you and I can make visible and manifest the agape love of God dwelling within us. Sometimes our body is a sacrament of sin (laughs) because agape doesn't come out of me. Sometimes anger, impatience, whatever. But our bodies are to be a sacrament of God's life in us, of the agape love of the Holy Spirit. If we don't get this, we are missing what is at the very heart of living the gospel. This is what the church means by saying to live the Paschal mystery. Little deaths and resurrections happening all the time right here. This crucible where agape love is being forged and our consent and cooperation with the Holy Spirit in all these different moments when we feel sin moving within us. This sin doesn't have to have the power over us that it once had. Now by the power of the Spirit it can die so that Christ's life may live. And this is how the world is set on fire. One heart at a time, but my heart has to be the first one set on fire. And the Holy Spirit needs to take all the moisture out of this log. Anything that is inconsistent with fire until it's all consumed and burned up and all that's left is this. Sacrificial, selfless, crucified love in all the little moments of the day through agape patience, agape endurance, agape gratitude, so forth and so on. This, if this isn't happening, the, the rest of the gospel doesn't make sense. We've got to live this. And if you have to listen to this talk ten times to just let it soak in, please do that. But the most important thing is that we're living this. This is how the world is set ablaze. Amen? Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace.